Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1 and 2, we'll just start there. I'm going to read and. I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. This is Paul talking about himself. He said, I didn't come with great speeches. I didn't come declaring anything but the testimony of God. He said, for I determined to know nothing. Everyone say nothing or anything. I didn't. De- I determined not to know anything among you save Christ and him crucified. And then verse 3, it says, And I was in with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And verse 4 says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but with demonstration of the Spirit and power. Everyone say power. power. Verse 5, That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That is what's going to happen at LifeSpring this year. We are not going to worry about how amazing the speeches are. We're not going to worry about all the different things that go with that. I am going to stand with you in weakness and sometimes in fear and sometimes in much trembling. (laughs) But God is going to show himself strong that our faith would not be in the wisdom of men, of any man. The wisdom of man would not be where we put our faith, but in the power of the Holy Ghost. And someone said, Amen. All right, so that is what I want to preach about is simply Jesus today. I had a friend that uh, went on a missions trip to China, and he was giving, he was having uh, a tour of a manufacturing plant in China, and they asked if it would be okay if one of their administrative understudies would walk along with them because she had bubbled up through the ranks, was a very smart young lady, and she was beginning to take on leadership role. Uh, in the different areas of her professional life. And one of those areas included giving tours to people that come to this large manufacturing plant. They manufactured things for Lowe's and Home Depot and Target and different things like that in China. And so as they were walking through, they got to the end and the CEO turned around to the group. And in this group were a pastor and another pastor and a couple of uh, their sons and different people. And in this group, uh, they were just all just kind of going together. And then when the CEO asked, okay, that we've come to the end of our tour, does anybody have any questions? And the, the question was asked, um, uh, yeah, I have this question. So there was a couple questions. And then all of a sudden, that little girl that's supposed to be seen and not heard, supposed to be learning about how to do these tours. She said, yeah, yeah, I have a question. And the CEO was kind of like, um, okay, sure, go go ahead. And she, she said, are you a pastor? And she pointed him out. And he's like, yes, I am a pastor. Um, just so happens. And he goes, she goes, I have a question for you. And it was supposed to be a question about what's going on at the plant. And the CEO was kind of puzzled. And she said, she goes, why is it that America has so many churches and so few people going to church? Why is it that there are, there's so much resistance 
to going to the house of God in America. And she goes, I, I found Jesus Christ. I listen to things online and, and I don't have the possibility to go to church every week. And the church I do want to go to is an underground church. It's not a government sanctioned church. And sometimes they have a problem with that. Sometimes they just look the other way. But if in order for me to get to church, it's a very rigorous and difficult process. I have to go through all kinds of little steps to sneak to church, to have this underground church where we can lift our hands and we can worship God and we can feel his presence. And I do all of that just to get to church, leave hours and hours before I come and and I'm able to go into a worship service and, and worship my God, but I do all of that because I want to be in church. And why is it that they're not here in America? Why is it there's so many churches and their people aren't here? I think it's because we've cluttered the message, brothers and sisters. We've put so much stuff on top of what Jesus wanted taught that Paul literally cuts it all down to simply Jesus. He said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Colossians 2 and 9, it tells us, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And and so I want to preach to you for a little while about the very fact that I love Jesus more than anything else. And if we're going to take anything away from this church, and if we're going to add anything to it, the subtractions will always be because they got in the way of preaching Jesus Christ. And the additions will always be in order to enhance the preaching of Jesus Christ. Because I believe the church is resisted because we have gotten the waters muddy. We have spent time on things. We have done things even out of good conscience that is not what God wants us maybe to do. And I find that Jesus is the most important reason for us to be here. Amen? We don't come to see how shiny your shoes are. We don't come to see your new car in the parking lot. We don't come to see how nice you can tie your funny looking tie. I didn't come here to notice how well you have your kids all in a row and how well they behave when you're at church. I came here to seek the face of Jesus Christ and I plan to see the power of God in my life. I don't plan to listen to your words of advice for me and put my faith in the wisdoms that you have because you might have done life better so far. I've come here not to hear the wisdom of man, but to invest myself 100% in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. I want him to move in our midst. I want to see him touch lives. I have come with a conviction to this pulpit today that healing virtue shall flow in this room and in this li- in my life. And I bring it with me, and you bring it with you. For the church is not brick and mortar. It is people committed and living out their life to Jesus Christ. So when Colossians 2 and 9 says, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the NLT actually says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And this year, we're going to let all the fullness of God be in this body. We are going to spend time reaching for those that don't know him. Amen. We're going to spend time giving to people who cannot give back. Because we're going to give as unto the Lord. Amen. Because Jesus said he was the one true and living God. 
And I believe that we need to have a singular one true purpose. And that is to magnify the name of Jesus in everything in our life. Jews tried to stone this Jesus. Amen. So it's not necessarily going to be easy to exalt Christ. When he said the things that he said, they felt very, very influenced to say he was a heretic and to stone him. Because Jesus said he was the one God they worshipped named Jehovah who had come to earth in flesh to save them. Now that is a bold statement. Amen. But regardless of how people receive it, you have to make the bold statement about Jesus Christ. Because if we know him as the way, the truth, and the life, and we give anything else out of this body, then Jesus Christ and him crucified and him being the way, the truth, and life, we are not giving people the truth. We are not giving people everything we know of Jesus. And Paul literally says, put it all aside, everything else aside. If you are not preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, then you need to focus on that and nothing else. He says, for I determined, I have determined, I have set my heart. I have determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. When it comes to the important things, Jesus must be clear in our midst. We must know who we serve. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Isaiah 28, 16 is prophesied. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. The things that make church less precious to us, the thing that makes each one of us less special is because we don't realize that there's a cornerstone laid in each one of our lives. And if we realize Jesus is at work in our brother and our sister, then we will love them for the work that God's doing, not for the progress that we see. We know that his work is precious and however much advancement is there is God advancement and God is working and is precious and we will appreciate it and we will preach Jesus Christ and celebrate what he's doing in every endeavor in each life. He's the cornerstone. It's laid. Jesus was the best foundation ever laid. We need not lay another. Amen. So I say as I preach simply Jesus this morning, Peter got the revelation we talked about last week. Thou art the Christ, the Son, flesh of the living God. Someone said amen. And Jesus said upon that rock, that revelation, Jesus said, I will build my church. If you think he's not building it because you look around and see a chair empty next to you, you're wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind. But Jesus is building his church. We just have to get out of the way of the message and let Jesus be all in all in us so that he can be all in all in this body. So that this body is a representation of Jesus Christ manifest in flesh. Not the deity of God, no, but God moving and living inside of each one of us. I preach simply Jesus this morning. Matthew 6, 13 16-19 says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the council of hell cannot prevail against the church. In other places, the scripture talks about that the enemy shall build weapons, but the weapons of his our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I simply say that even though the enemy shall build weapons, they shall not be advantageous. They shall not work against us. 
brothers and sisters, we do not believe in a faith that is simply just our emotionalism. We believe in a God Almighty who is Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Godhead in a body. Amen? And his name is Yeshua. Jehovah become our salvation. And when we worship him and when pastor runs around the church because he's been on his back for two days with a back out, but God touches him in that corner and gives him strength in his legs and strength in his body. I couldn't lift my hands on Friday, but today I lift my hands and I worship God because he's a healer of broken things. And if we get Jesus in this house, he will demonstrate himself in power. Amen, amen, amen. He will demonstrate himself in power. There is only one God and his name is Jesus. We are not taking a year off from the Father and the Holy Ghost. We are not kicking the Father and the Holy Ghost to the curb to focus on Jesus. These are titles based upon relationship, amen? God as a Father of creation, God as a Spirit, John 4, 24. He is a Spirit. God did not have a body till the begotten body of Jesus Christ. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And in that name was revealed the name of God, which is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 43 and 11 said, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. That does mean that there's no one that can be a Savior like me, God Almighty. He didn't say, Jesus, get down there and get bumped off for my other kids because I think they're as important as you are. He didn't send him in that fashion. It's not like you take out my phone, put it in a box, and send it in the UPS mail to somebody else. It's not like that. He pre-existed as spirit, not as body, because you cannot be begotten at a manger and be eternal in bodily form. Jesus was the expressed image of Almighty God, and I'm glad I know that. I'm glad I know that. It's God in flesh, resurrected into ascended and ascended into heaven so that he might so that he might return as spirit comforter. Amen. John 14 and 18 says, I will not leave you comfortless. Who comes to you? He said, I will come to you. Even the Lord, go to, uh, yes, thank you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So when Jesus said, I must go to my Father, and there's another comforter coming, what he was saying is going to be me in a different form. Has anybody seen Jesus walking through here with a beard and a robe this morning? Has anybody seen the Father walking through here this morning? No, because the Father was a spirit. We don't say the Father is over here and the Holy Spirit's over here and Jesus is ministering down here. Jesus is that ministering spirit. Jesus is that spirit of God in a body, amen? So when we say the Father's here, we've said Jesus is here. When we say the Spirit is here, we've said Jesus is here because he is God Almighty in a body, amen? So we know that he is present among us. So when we preach simply Jesus this year, we make room for several things. We make room for a funeral stopping, death defying, empty tomb rising, ever present, all sufficient God in our midst. That's really good right there. You missed a chance to shout if you missed that one. There is a name 
of the Father, and there is a name of the Son, and there is a name of the Holy Spirit. And what is that name? Amen. That is the revealed name of God. Colossians 1 and 15 says he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1, 16, he's, it, is, it says he is the creator of all things. Amen. Colossians 1 and 17 says he is better, he is before all things. In other words, he is eternal. Colossians 1 and 18, he is the head of the church. Aren't you glad he is the head of the church? Amen. Colossians 1.18, he is the preeminent, he is preeminent in all things. He is above all things. Colossians 1 and 19. See a pattern here? Anybody notice a pattern? All fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. Colossians 1 and 20 says he has reconciled all things to God. Amen. So the Godhead, the Godhead literally means. When it says he is reconciled, well, he's all the fullness of the Godhead. The Godhead in the Greek is the Greek word theotis, which means deity. Bodily incarnation means the embodiment of the spirit in earthly form. We, we get it right because we look at the scriptures leading up to it. He is the head. How can he be co-equal, co-eternal if he is the head? The, even the beginning of the Trinitarian doctrine when Tertullian, I believe it was, Yes, Tertullian, I'm pulling out a memory, sorry I didn't write it down. Tertullian began to develop this idea of multiple persons in the Godhead. He literally put Jesus as subservient. And then the Trinity doctrine developed by 340 AD to being co-equal, co-eternal. But we know as we read the scriptures that Jesus prayed. And if a God prays, then he's not a God. The God he's praying to is that God. So therefore we have to realize that Jesus as a man prayed to to the spirit but he was still the spirit in an earthly body amen colossians 2 and 9 means this for in him the whole fullness of deity continues or dwells continues to dwell the niv says it like this and i love this for in christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form every bit of god was rammed into a human being every bit of god that would fit in a human body was rammed into jesus christ and that's why jesus loved people the way he did because you can't live a jesus model in this world if you're not full of the spirit it's just a fact. You will wear yourself out trying to be like Jesus if we're not a body full of the Holy Spirit. It's a fact. So the temple model is the problem. And in, in finishing up, I, I, I see 2 and 10, it says, and ye are complete in him. Everyone say complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. Ye are complete in him. I want you to know that if we're preaching Jesus all year, we're complete. We don't have to worry about missing something when we're preaching Jesus Christ. So if we spend the year boxing it up, packaging it up, influencing it, marketing it, we're going to market Jesus. We're going to put Jesus out there every chance we get. We're going to preach sermon series about Jesus. And by the time we get done with the end of this year, we'll look at another video just like that, and we won't we won't simply go, that was another year on the calendar. We'll look at it and go, look what the Lord has done. I, I'm telling you, God has done amazing things already. I'm not diminishing 2015. Look at the place we're in. Look at this worship house. I mean, God has been awesome. But the temple model needs to be torn down for the Jesus model. 
They cannot compete. They cannot even coexist. And I'll tell you why. Because the temple model is based on rules and rituals. It was the Old Testament model. I'm sorry you can't read that. That color looked a whole lot better on my laptop. (laughs) But I'll read it for you because I can't read it from here either. I have to come over here. The temple model is sacred places with sacred text, with sacred men. And it's always men. I don't know why that is. Sacred men with sincere followers. All the words S's, I know. It's, I could have put superstitious followers because that would work too. This is the temple model. It works in Europe. It works in Istanbul. It works in every other religion that you've ever seen in your lifetime. It's the temple model. Sacred people with sacred texts that have a bunch of people that, are, that revere them and are, are sincere sometimes, but they don't know any better. You don't have to even have a religion to have a temple model. You can have a voodoo doctor in a camp, in a mud hut camp, somewhere in a far off place, and all he has to do is put some rocks and a few skulls and some very special strategic places around his hut, and people will be afraid to go there because it's a sacred place with a sacred man who has sacred texts, who talks to God for or whoever for them, and they are superstitious or sincere people so what keeps us from being that what keeps us from coming in here listening to pastor calhoun and being hypnotized by the word and going out and doing whatever pastor says we need to do that's not the model that we're trying to live and present here and unfortunately there's little there's little claws of this model that are still in the church And we have to identify them and we have to throw them out. You have to realize that this might be a sacred place, but you are a sacred place that makes this the sacred place. You are the church that makes this the church. Yes, we gather together because there is power in coming together to pray. The Bible talks about where two or three are gathered in his name. There he is in the midst of them. So we know that the scripture says not to forsake the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. And even in the day when we see coming of the day of the Lord, we should gather even more. I know that. You know that. But that is not why we gather here. We don't gather here because there's sacred rituals and sacred places here. We gather here because we are the sacred things of God. We are the church, not this building, us. And so instead of being a place, it's a people. And we have to realize that. And the sacred text, I'm glad some of you have downloaded some apps on your phone that allow you to look up the Greek words with just a touch of the button because you don't need to get it from me. You need to find it for yourself. You do get some things from me. I understand that. I've been doing this a long time and I have to be responsible to the word of God. And I do that. I spend time in prayer for these sermons. You know I do. But the thing is, is if you have a question, there's nothing keeping you from going and finding it. There is not some sacred text locked to an altar in a language you don't understand. You can go find truth. Amen. And if you have a question and you need clarity, come to me, I'll help you. But that is not the model we have here. Sacred men. That's why I said I'm with you like Paul in fear. There's times I worry. There's times I wonder if we're going to pay the light bill. There's times I wonder who else is not going to be here this Sunday. (laughs) I'm honest. That's one thing I am. I'm really honest. And sometimes to a fault. 
But I promise you while I'm being honest, I'm living for God and I'm doing the best I can and I make mistakes. Jonica, we make mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? It's true, we make mistakes. And so you can't just come to one person who's supposed to be above everybody else and he's supposed to have your connection to God. God removed the middleman when he became the middleman, Jesus Christ. So now you don't have to go to a priest and confess your sins like traditional religions do. They have a sacred place where they go to meet with a person that has a sacred text to meet with a sacred man to confess their sins. The Bible says that we should call no man father, but it also says confess your sins unto God who is able to forgive you. And that is not just a little game that we play with God where we have a little bucket full of sin and we come and we dump our bucket on Jesus Christ and go back out and fill up our bucket again. That's not the kind of religion we live here. The Jesus model is not a Kentucky Fried Chicken. We have a full bucket. Now we can get more, amen? This is a model that works because we're loving him and not just doing rituals. The Jesus model is really important for us to understand because Jesus gave a new commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's really important that we get that because the horizontal relationship we have with everybody else is now as important as the relationship we have with God. Jesus said, if you love me, love your neighbor. And the way you show your love to me is how you show your love to Carla Gannon or Tierra or Rob. The way I love you says how much I love Jesus. And that is the model. This is the commandment, obviously. And also a new ethic. He said there's going to be a new way of doing church. It's not going to temple, but every place where you are, you can go to God. You can be in the spirit on the Lord's day. Then a new, I can't even read it from here, sorry. A new covenant and a new movement. He started a brand new movement, Amen. It was a movement that's still going today. How do you know? Because God speaks to me about things. And whenever I started praying about this year, he said, remove any of the temple model from your life and put the Jesus model in place. And God will fill this house and we will have revival. I believe revival's here. He's just getting me lined up to be able to handle it as it's coming. And I believe he's getting all of us lined up so that we could teach Bible studies and we can do what we need to do. This year we move Rob off of, Brother Rob, I'm sorry to focus on you. He's sitting in the middle right there. We can all focus on him. Everybody give Rob a big hand. This year we decided that we were going to move Rob away from something that wasn't quite working because we've grown out of it. And that is our outreach director. Because we were asking him to be responsible for outreach for each of the departments because we are departmentally structured. And there's no way that he can know what each department needs for evangelism. Each department's going to have to say, this is what we need to do for this event. And what we want to do is promote Jesus in every department. So we moved him into discipleship director, and he's going to help us. And this year, we're going to launch life groups around the city. And we're going to have a a midweek life group where we can begin to invite people to that life group. And off of that life group, we will start Bible studies from people that show hunger at those life groups. And some of you know this is, you already know this in your head. You actually, some of you gave the suggestions. This is what I feel God wants us to do. If I used all of your suggestions, don't think you're any better than anybody else. (laughs) 
God just told me to go this way. And I've talked with people, I've talked with gurus that build churches, and they said, that's a good plan. You might as well use it. And so they, we're going to have home fellowship groups. We're going to have the home fellowship group start where we have one at the end of each month. The last Wednesday of the month is going to be a home fellowship group. We'd like to start about four of them. We'll get them all organized and put together, and we're going to launch that in February. Everyone say February. We got a month and a half to get it ready. Rob and I will work hard. Nate and I get it promoted. All the stuff that we've got to do, but we're going to start that in February. And off of that, excuse me, off of that will be Bible studies. And off of those Bible studies will be souls saved and people discipled and preach Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. Amen. So we have a plan. We have a goal. We're going to preach Jesus. And it's going to center on people that are not here. We're going to be inviting people. And that is what is important because... We have to understand that if we don't remove the temple mentality, we will not make a Jesus-driven church. Amen? How do we know whether we have temple versus Jesus model? Here's how you know. Are you ready? Everyone say, I'm ready. This is how you know. If you feel guiltier about missing church than mistreating someone at work, you live a temple model. If you sit around wondering how close you can get to sin without actually sinning. You live a temple model. I know it's got quiet. It's okay. If you believe there is a ritual that makes you right with God and removes your responsibility to make restitution to someone you have harmed, you're living a temple model religion. Because Jesus said we have to go and make it right. The temple is you-centered. What rules and regulations can I do? How, how close can I get without really ticking God off? How, how, how far can I get into sin without really being a sinner? Am I still good with God? How can I win at the God game instead of how can I love my Savior more? The Jesus model goes like this. Are you ready? Now, that was depressing, wasn't it? That is no fun. That is a religious temple model. It puts people in power, and it puts people over other people, because if you can live the rules better than I can live the rules, then you're a better person, and I'm a worse person. And I just walk around feeling like a dirty dog, always trying to live up to something that you seem to be able to live up to, because you have stronger willpower in the rules department, but I don't. And in fact, the situation is this, Jesus wants us to live our vertical relationship in is just as important as horizontal relationships. So Jesus says, you want, you want me in your life? You want me to be represented in your life? How are you treating other people? And it's found in these different places, John 15 and 12. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Everyone say, love one another. That's part of the Jesus model. Galatians 5 and 6 says, The only thing that counts, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails much, availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. What was happened with the Galatians is 
Paul went through and preached Christ. And then there were some people called the Judaizers that came through after him. And they were trying to blend the temple model with the Jesus model. They're like, yeah, that's good. But Jesus was a Jew. So you need to become a Jew. Anybody know what that means? They needed, they were, they were asking them, they're saying, so you need to get circumcised. You need to do all of these things that have to do with the law. But Jesus said, I came and I fulfilled all of that stuff. You don't have to go back to the law. You need to do what I'm calling you to do. And my new commandment is that you love one another as I loved you. And so then what Paul was dealing with here in this scripture, he was literally upset because these people had come behind him. And now because of the missionary work he did, they're showing up and saying, okay, great. You've got Jesus, but there's some things with the temple that you should hold on to. I want you to know that we do the same thing as Pentecostals. We dance and shout. We wave our hanky. We do the stuff that we roll on the floor. And on Monday and Tuesday, there are people doing the same sins that they had before they came to church on Sunday. Hello, somebody. Is it okay if I preach? I'm just saying, if you truly get the Jesus model, it will change people and they'll walk out of their sin. So Paul was like, you don't have to go back to that. You make, neither circumcision avails anything. It doesn't do any good, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Look at verse 14. He says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus is saying the Jesus model is if you love somebody the way I loved you. And we talked a little bit about that last week. There's other places that you have to look at. And I want to know if you would entertain me for just a minute. Why is it that you should tell the truth? When we talk about how we treat other people, when we talk about loving somebody, our neighbor as ourself, what is it that causes us to live by the tenets of the law? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Why are we living by the law sometimes whenever that seems like something attached to the temple model? Why does Jesus say, I fulfilled the law, but we should have the Jesus model in the church and not the temple model if he fulfilled that? The reason is because that when you don't tell the truth, when you don't be generous, when you're not fair, as we talked about last week, when you're not kind to people, when you do things that hurt them, when you pressure your boy boyfriend or your girlfriend sexually, you are hurting somebody else. And God says, that is not how you show me love. When you hurt others, you hurt me. And we see it in Matthew 25, 33 and 34. And I'll get to that in just a minute. The Jesus model puts others before self. Everyone say that with me. Puts others before self. This model decomplicates living for God. There's no big eyes and little U's. There's no people doing it better and people doing it worse. We are all in a process. You might live out holiness on the outside. Thank God you know that's important. But this model demands more of us than just putting on the right clothes and looking the right way. It demands that we love people that are not like us. It demands that we love people that are hard to get along with and that rub our personality wrong and do things that we would not necessarily endorse. We have to 
learn how to love them without loving the lifestyle they lead. Why would we expect somebody to live a Christian lifestyle when they're not a Christian? Why would we expect somebody to live a holy lifestyle when they don't even understand the concepts of holiness? We have to learn how to love people the way Jesus loved them. But when we walk in the Spirit, that's what makes us able to do that. You cannot live and be a Jesus model church without God's Spirit. That is why Jesus could do what he did. That's why Jesus did it, because he was spirit in a body. And I've already said it, we want spirit in this body. Not only personally in our body, filled with the Holy Ghost, but in this body corporately. Amen, somebody. The Jesus model is this, a spirit-filled church loving each other and loving the lost. Say that with me. A spirit-filled church loving each other and loving the lost. Say it one more time. A spirit-filled church loving each other and loving the lost. That is the Jesus model. Philippians 2 and 5, it says, have this mind that was in Christ. Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Go on to the next verse. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Next verse. But made himself of no reputation, took unto him, took upon him the form of a servant, and made himself the likeness of man. That's fine. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus came as a servant in the only position that's open in the church. The only job description that's open in the church is a servant. That's the only job description that's in the church. There's no big eyes and no little U's. It's simply, are you willing to serve? Because serving others means you're serving Christ. It's a fact. And yeah, I get up early like some of you, and yeah, I work long hours like some of you, but we have to serve others before we serve ourselves. And some of you may have gotten up this morning and thought, uh, do I want to go to church today? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I feel like it. Well, guess what? That feeling is your flesh. <laughs> and in order for you to live a spirit-filled life, you need to be where the spirit's moving. And so I'm not endorsing a temple mentality, but I am endorsing that if you're going to do the Jesus model, you need to be where Jesus shows up in the corporate worship. Amen? That's not a temple model. That's not me putting a guilt trip on you for not feeling well and not coming to the church. Guess what? I am actually asking you, how can you serve God in the way that we want to serve Jesus Christ and represent him without being here? How can you do it? It's not very easy for us to not be around people that love God, serve God, and are full of God, and ourselves be encouraged. It's impossible. Matthew 25, 33-34 says this in verse 35. It says, I was hungry, and you gave me. For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me and you gave me drink, and I was a stranger, and you took me in. How is that possible? Naked, and you clothed me. When was Jesus ever naked? When was Jesus ever hungry? When was Jesus ever thirsty? I was sick, and you visited me. Jesus was sick? When? When was Jesus sick? 
I was, a pri- I was in prison. What? Jesus is a felon? What? <laughs> that, that doesn't make any sense. But actually what he was saying was, and you came unto me. Go on to the next verse. Then shall the righteous, then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when, when, when did all this happen? When were you in prison? When were you hungered and fed? And when were you thirsty? And when, and when did we give you drink? When, when did these things happen? What, what he says is, and the king shall answer and say unto them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto who? Unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Jesus literally saying, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Your devotion to God is illustrated. Listen to me carefully. Plug in real quick if you've disconnected or you're on your phone or whatever. Listen to me carefully. Your devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for others. And so this year we're going to build bags for the homeless. This year we're going to have home fellowship groups for people that don't know how to do church, don't know how to go to a temple model. They can't plug in to a temple model. They've never been to church, maybe never heard of Jesus Christ in their life, but they'll come and they'll have some snacks at your house. And you can start a conversation of faith with them. And that is how we're going to begin to love our neighbor as ourselves. How can we come and pray prayers for ourselves here and we won't pray prayers for our neighbor whose relationship and marriage is falling apart? How can we come here and talk about how great God is when we won't share it with the person who works in the cubicle next to us? I promise you this has got to grip us. It's got to get a hold of us from the core root of our very soul because I am gripped by it. And if you cannot see that I'm emphatic about this, we are going to do this this year. 2016 is going to have us talking to our coworkers, talking with our neighbors, inviting people to Bible study, and doing what puts Jesus in front of them. What you do for one of them, you've done for Jesus. We will never do it if we don't be what God called us to be. A spirit-filled church will have a Jesus model. So less temple, more Jesus. Everyone say less temple, more Jesus. Less I feel bad about not being in church more than I feel bad about my neighbor going to hell. Less of temple, more of Jesus. We will, we must, it will happen in 2016. And someone said amen if you believe it. Because with the name of Jesus and with his power here, no sickness can stay in the room. No sickness can stay in our life. Chains are broken. Bondages have to leave. They don't stand a chance in the face of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that's what I'm preaching. The same thing Paul preached. He said, I didn't show up with fancy words. This may not be the best sermon you've ever heard, but I guarantee it's the most important one you've ever heard. Because I'm talking about removing our rituals of going to and from church, putting on our best clothes in our closet because we look good 
and not being good on the inside. I promise you, there's people that match their clothes. They have been living for God all week, doing what they know to do, and they look good, and they are good people. But there are those that think that doing those things make me right with God, and they do not. They do not. It is a heart issue that Paul is talking about. And he said, if you're going to get to the heart of the matter, you're going to have to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's what we're going to do. And tomorrow, I'll be thinking, how do I preach Jesus? And on Wednesday night, when Reese is our wonderful youth pastor doing his best, he's going to be in that room thinking, how do I preach Jesus to those young people? When Nate's up here leading worship or Sarah's leading worship, she's going to be thinking, how do I demonstrate Jesus in this worship service? When we're playing our instruments and we're doing all that we do, or when we're in a nursing home or when we're giving out Mayday flowers, amen to that. When we're doing all those things, we're going to be saying, are we demonstrating Jesus? And if the answer is yes, then the Jesus model's alive and we will see the revival God has promised us. I don't know if you believed everything I said here today. I don't know if you could say amen to everything I said. I sure hope you could. Um, and I'm not diminishing anything that you've known of God that's precious to you. I am not. But I am saying that sometimes we put more emphasis on the things that do not win souls and less emphasis on the things that do. And that's what we want to do this year. More emphasis on what reaches people. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I like to dress up. I like to hoop. I like to have a good time. I like to go to general conference. I like to go to the big services. I like to hear my favorite preachers. But that doesn't win people. On a grassroots local level here at the church, we have to introduce him to Jesus and them. Stand with me. I'm done. I'm not belaboring the point. You already got it. Some of you are so smart. You had my sermon, my first text, and I understand that. But you have to give me the opportunity to voice it because I am the pastor of this local assembly and I do have responsibilities over the souls of the local assembly. So I pray for you. I ask God to use you. Some of you, if you live too close to the edge, I come and I try to influence you back away from that edge. But I guarantee you this. If you will start demonstrating Jesus in your life, I will be one happy pastor because you will have joined the effort. So I'm asking each one of you not to make a, a great moment of prayer out of this, not to spend a bunch of time at the altar today. I'm asking you to make a decision to join a Jesus model. And if that means we have two Sundays a month where we dress down, we have two Sundays a month where we dress down. If that means we take a Wednesday night and we show up at a house somewhere and we're not coming here and getting to hear a great Bible study that pastor worked four hours on, then we go and we have a home fellowship group. If that means that I don't get everything that I want, I, I, I want so that he can have everything he wants for this church. I'm willing to lay it down.